Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. We are continuing our series, Holy Moments, this morning, which started with the resurrection that we celebrated on Easter Sunday. And I have the privilege of introducing to you our guest preacher today. His name is Tim Mannon, um, and he is the senior pastor of OKC Community Church, a phenomenal pastor, leader, and friend. He and I still have a disagreement, though. He thinks that we're really good friends, and we are but I also consider him a spiritual mentor in my life. Uh, I learned so much from him about the Lord, about the church, about marriage, about family. And, um, you know, we love bringing in these outside voices to come in and challenge us, but he's not really an outside voice um, because his voice has shaped me in in such a profound way. And I'm just so excited that you have a treat, uh, uh, this treat of hearing him this morning, continuing on in this series. Would you give a big, warm, Redeemer welcome to Pastor Tim Mannon? Good morning, Redeemer. It is an honor and a gift to be here. And, man, thanks so much, Adam. I, you know, we really are just friends. Um, but I am so thankful for him. Adam and Andrew are incredible people. And, uh, you know, Adam talks about you all the time in the best of ways, right? He, he loves being your pastor, and I just feel like he's really, really good at it. Like, he's a good pastor. He loves people. He loves Jesus. You guys have some good ones in the Barnets. Would you agree? Yeah, amen, amen. Thank you, Adam, for having me here. Well, if you're joining us online, thanks so much for joining us today. I am so happy to be here. I've been here once before. Uh, The day that I was here was, I think it was March 8th, 2020, and it was the last Sunday gathering before the pandemic shut us all down, and you guys didn't gather again for months, and so I'm just praying that today goes a little better, (laughs) just a little better, right? That's all we need. Well, I am here alone today. My wife, Christy's back home leading worship at our church today. We figured it was more valuable for her to be there than me. We are not alone in life, though. We have four people who are attached to us. They... We buy all their food. We buy pretty much everything in their life. So we have four kids, and we love them. They're great kids. We are in the four-kid club. Anybody in the room in the four-kid club or plus crowd? Yeah, look around those brave people. A lot of you want to be in our club, but you're not brave enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's only a few of us that can handle that in life. Uh, I was at a basketball game. (laughs) I was at a basketball game the other day, and there was me and my four kids were standing there waiting for the game to start, and this guy comes up to me, and he's like, whoa, are those all your kids? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, dude, great job. I'm like, you're really easy to impress, because that was not hard to make four kids. <laughs> now, uh, before we even had kids, right, there was a season of preparation for kids. Anybody that has kids knows this. 
There's a few things you got to do before you have kids. One of the things you got to do is you got to get the baby room ready. You got to get the nursery ready. So you get the crib, you get the changing table, you get the changing pad, you get the diaper genie, you get the baby wipes holder. Most of the preparation is around changing diapers, right? That's the way it goes. You guys know what I'm talking about. And so we were getting ready. You have to get ready. And with each of our four kids, when my wife was pregnant, we began to get the room ready. So what happens is you go to another room, a room purpose for something else. You take all the old stuff out because you're about to put something new in. You're preparing not only for something, but someone new. You got to make room for the new person coming into the life. And so you're moving it all out. I moved out my in-home gym because, you know, I couldn't work out anymore now that I had four kids. You just got to make sacrifices for your kids, people. You know what I'm saying? You can't do everything in life. But we made room for something new, something better. Everyone say, make room. Let's say it again. Everyone say, make room. We're just a few minutes in, and I'm talking about babies and nurseries and my kids, but I promise it's all going somewhere. We are headed in a direction today that I'm just praying the Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way. Leviticus chapter 26 was where we're going to begin everyone's favorite book. I know you haven't memorized, but I'm going to read it anyway. Luke 26, verse 10. You will be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out and make room for the new. You will have to make room for the new. I wonder how many of us are still eating off of last year and it's time to move it out so you can make room for the new. Sometimes we're still sitting in yesterday's problems or an old way of thinking, or a disappointment that has dashed our hopes, right? But God is saying, I have something new for you. I have something. Will you pay attention? Will you actually prepare? Will you make room as if I'm not done with you yet, that I have something else for you? Today, we're going to get into the story of the Pentecost, and it is the ultimate make room story. Because something new is coming to God's people. Something that is reorganizing, reorienting. It's a type of event that we just don't clean one room of the house. But it's like when Jesus showed up and John the Baptist said, Hey, everybody, prepare the way of the Lord. Make room for Jesus. Prepare the way. Make, his pa- or make the path straight because Jesus is coming. Now God is doing the same thing, only God is coming in a different form. He is coming in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So I want to get into it. Are you guys ready to go? Hmm. Mm-mm. Fair warning here. I, I always ask for a lot of interaction with my church. I always get them talking back with me. So hopefully you're willing to do that with me today. I'm a needy communicator. <laughs> Are you all ready to go? Yes. All right, let's do this. Today's week number three of Holy Moments. You guys are looking at the Pentecost today, and uh, for lack of a better word, this is one of the most significant, really one of the most stunning, stunning, tremendous, powerful moments in the history of of the world. The event occurs in Acts chapter 2, which we'll get into in a moment, but I want to kind of lead us into that moment. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1. Adam taught last week on the ascension of Jesus and that amazing moment. Well, right before Jesus ascended, Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. While he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Everyone say, Wait. wait. I told you I'm needy. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. A few verses down, verse 8. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. So that's the ascension, right? You talked last week about this. Jesus went and took his rightful place on the, on the throne of God, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I love this next verse. They were looking intently, the disciples, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Meaning, what are you staring at? Stop staring at the sky and go do what you're supposed to do. Have you ever caught, been caught staring at someone? <laughs> you know, you're staring at them and then they catch you and you're like, whoop. You start looking around the other way. I wasn't looking at you. I was, I was just right past you. Well, he's like, they're like, quit staring at the sky. Go do what you're supposed to do. And what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to go and wait. Jesus didn't tell them how long to wait, by the way. I mean, he had indicated maybe a few days, but they didn't know what a few days meant. He didn't tell them how long to wait. He told them where to wait, Jerusalem. He told them what they were waiting on. But they had no idea how long. The scriptures say that 120 followers of Jesus were gathered in Jerusalem waiting on the gift that the Father promised. Now, the disciples weren't, they weren't completely ignorant of what the Holy Spirit was. They had experienced moments of the Holy Spirit even coming upon them. Some of them had. Jesus sent out 72 in Luke chapter 10 in which they had power come upon them. And they, were, they had power over the enemy, over sickness. But it didn't stay with them at that moment. They had these moments, these flashes. And here they are being said, hey, you're going to go and receive the Holy Spirit. I'm sure they're going, what is this going to be like? This is going to be crazy. But they also don't know exactly what they're looking for, do they? They're not quite sure. There's a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainty, I'm sure, in this moment. It's like when you're meeting someone new, but you've never met them, you've never even seen them, but you say, hey, we'll meet at you know, Starbucks at 1030. You get there, and they, say, they text you, and they say, hey, I'll be, I'm wearing a black shirt, but everybody's wearing a black shirt. You're like, that didn't help me. This is kind of where they're at. And again, how long? How long are they going to wait? Well, this series that you guys are doing in Holy Moments, it began with the resurrection. The resurrection, and then 40 days later was the ascension. The disciples returned to Jerusalem, as we just read, at that moment, began to wait. They didn't know if they were waiting for a few days, seven days, 10 days, 20, 30 days. They didn't know. They had no idea. And they also didn't know that God was going to partner this event that was about to occur, similar in the way he had partnered the, resurrection and cruci- the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus with a Jewish festival called the Passover. He had already done that. Well, here they are. They're approaching the next festival on the Jewish religious calendar called the Pentecost. Pentecost actually means 50th, which means 50 days after Passover. At Pentecost, it was a festival of the first fruits. The wheat harvest had not fully come in yet. But they had received the first fruits of that harvest. And so they are bringing those to the Lord to offer them as not only a sacrifice, but more as an offering of praise and thanks to God. And another festival in the city would be underway. The festival was like Passover in that all sorts of people from all over the region, from far stretches of different lands would come. And they would pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God, sacrifice at the temple. The city would be full of people. So the disciples are in the city. It's full of people. It's actually an international event of worshipers, merchants, and travelers from all over. So the disciples are gathered there. 
in the city between the ascension at 40 days up until the Pentecost at 50 days. So they're waiting for 10 days. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot unless you're waiting on something you think could arrive at any minute. And then you got to wait 10 days. So they don't know when it's coming. I have to get impatient. I get impatient if I have to wait 10 minutes. Anybody with me? About when you're driving, you know, and you see the red light come, how many of you switch to the lane that's shortest? Right? Because you're like, I don't want to, you're trying to save 10 seconds, let alone waiting for 10 days, right? You probably understand that when we are waiting with the Lord, it's another way of saying preparing. God is always preparing us in the waiting. And when we wait, we're not only preparing, but when we prepare, we prioritize. You understand we only prepare for the things that we prioritize in life. So waiting with God is a way of prioritizing God. It's saying to everything else in life, I'm going to put those things on hold while I wait with God. Now notice I'm saying wait with God. We like to say wait on God. But when I'm waiting on something, it's sort of that, you know, tapping the toe, watching the watch sort of experience when I'm waiting on something. But what I'm waiting with him, man, it's a whole different experience because I find joy in the community that I have with my Heavenly Father. Or I get to sit in community and find joy in the relationship of his nearness to me. When I'm waiting on him, I'm expecting something from him. When I'm waiting with him, I'm enjoying the community of his nearness. So they've been waiting. And what happens? Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place, so they're waiting, they're praying. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house that they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Everyone say rest. Rest. Everyone say rest. Good. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this is a significant event. This is a holy moment. This This is a woe moment. Whoa. Whoa. This cannot be overstated. The disciples are together, and this nearly indescribable sound begins to fill the whole house. It is a furious, violent wind. People who've been in tornadoes, they often describe it like a jet engine or a train coming through the house. Well, that is the sound. That is similar to the sound of heaven crashing into earth. Throughout the scriptures, the Spirit of God is often described as the breath of God, the wind of God. Here we are, we read this account of the sound of heaven crashing, being poured out on the disciples. It's truly a glorious moment. It says they they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came to rest on each of them. Now, many, many Bible scholars believe that the visualization of tongues represents the enabling of the disciples to go and speak and proclaim the word of God with a supernatural ability. We all, if we know the story, we know that later that day they were actually given the ability to speak in other languages. But in the course of time, what this comes to mean is that they would be given the supernatural ability to proclaim the kingdom of God to the world around them. Their words would now be anointed with the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim the truth of the gospel, similar to how Jesus came and he would proclaim the good news. The tongues of fire are believed 
to represent the refining fire that the Holy Spirit brings upon us to purify us. So the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, it's blowing into this room. It's falling on each person. And they are getting an anointing to be able to proclaim the kingdom of God. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is refining and purifying the believers in this moment. And there's a moment at the beginning of the story of Jesus that's similar to this. Matthew 3.16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So at the baptism, the Spirit comes and alights on Jesus. Alight just means to descend from above. The Spirit comes and rests on Jesus in this moment. That's what's happening at Pentecost. The Spirit of God is coming and he's resting on alighting on his followers. And this is monumental. I, I keep saying that, but I, I want to make sure we catch it. This is huge, massive. And here's why. Because under the old covenant, under the old covenant, the Spirit of God rested on the nation. But under the new covenant in Christ, there was something new happening. We've got to make room for the new, don't we? Something new was happening. The Spirit of God was actually resting on individuals. So there was a, a new covenant through Christ in which the Spirit of God was with us in a whole new way. He was no longer just with the nation, but the Spirit of God is with us. You know what's even, can I keep teaching a little bit? Can you guys, okay, you guys with me? Are you with me? Remember, I'm needy. <laughs> okay. Here's what's even crazy about this whole new thing God was doing. Because some people during these days, they weren't making room for the new things, were they? In the scriptures, they weren't making room for anything that was coming up. They, they were denying all this. But the, but, the, but the day of Pentecost was not just about this festival of first fruits among the Jewish culture. Jewish culture and tradition marked this day as the day that the law was given to the people. So the Jews sometimes called Pentecost... Shimchath Torah. Everyone say Shimchath. Shimchath. I didn't even say it. You just did it again. Shimchath Torah means the joy of the law. So think about this. The Pentecost, on Pentecost, the people were celebrating the word of God that had been given to them. And God, being wise in his ways, chooses the day on the calendar that the people are celebrating the word of God to send his spirit. He's saying, as you celebrate my word, you will now celebrate my spirit. Ushering in a new era of his people becoming people who are people of word and spirit. You see, we must be word and spirit people. Some people are all about the word of God. Maybe you are all about the word of God. And we rely, and perhaps rely very little on the spirit. So we, we value intellectualism. We value knowledge. We value studying the word of God. But we don't really know how to get alone in his presence. Some people are all about the spirit of God and rely very little on the word. So we're always looking for encounters with the spirit. We're always looking for experiential types of events. And we rely very little on the word. But just like God gave us two legs to stand on, I believe in this moment he wants us to understand that we are to stand firmly on two legs of word and spirit. And it's through both of them that we stand not only confident in the foundation we find in his word, but we also find the counsel, the guidance, the comfort, 
and the inspiration that only comes from the Spirit of God, only comes through His Spirit. And we don't have time to dive into all that happens in Acts chapter 2. I'm sure many of you know it, but the disciples are enabled with the Spirit of God, the supernatural ability to speak in all sorts of different languages, and, and they share the message of Jesus at this international event happening in their city. All those internationals would later head back home, and they would also share the message of the gospel, and a movement is born in this moment. It's like God picks the right time to do what he wants to do. He enables him, them to do the work that only he could do, but he does it through his spirit. Peter speak, speaks this phenomenal, inspired, anointed message. 3,000 people come into the church that day. You see, here's what's amazing. The day of Pentecost was the day that the church was born. The church, the body of Christ, it came into existence on this day when the people received the presence of God in and among them. So this is a history-shaping moment. A few things to help us capture the power of the Pentecost in the scriptures. I already said these things, so I'm going to go through them very quickly. But if you're a note taker, you'll appreciate this. Number one, at Pentecost, we witnessed the birthplace of the church, meaning we are now word and spirit people. Number two, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to rest on all believers. The Holy Spirit is with you. And number three, the Pentecost, we receive the enabling of the Holy Spirit. He has empowered you. He has enabled you to do work that you would, another, you would not be able to do without him. So this is significant, and this is why this moment matters to us. We can't be who we're supposed to be without Pentecost. We can't feel the comforting guidance of the Spirit without Pentecost. We can't experience breakthrough without the Pentecost. We are not enabled with supernatural gifts without the Pentecost. We can't be the church without the Pentecost. This moment is huge. Well, I want to end by returning to where we began this message. Pentecost is the ultimate new thing moment in the scriptures. God is always preparing us for new things. He's always preparing us to make room. He's always saying, will you prepare? Will you make room for what I have for you? Because he's never finished and he's never done. But here's the thing. We're not always in the mood to make room for something new in our life. How many know that sometimes we're just fine with the way things are? So the idea of God wanting to do something new is like, oh yeah, that's good, that's good. But, but I'm good right now, maybe later. Maybe later, maybe I can get to that next year. I got a lot going right now. And essentially what happens is God wants to do something new. He wants us to make room, but we, we don't make the room for God to move because we feel like we really need to be in control of things, so we take control. We aren't looking for God to continue to transform us. This is just the truth about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in America today. This happens to all of us. How many know that we try and take God's seat? How many of you guys know that? Nod your head if you know that we try and take God's seat. You ever had someone take your seat? <laughs> you get up from the table, you go somewhere, and you come back, and someone's in your seat, and you're like, hey, what are you doing? That was my seat. And they're like, hey, no seatbacks, loser. <laughs> Snooze, you lose, right? At our house, 
we have a seat that everyone wants. It's the prime seat in the house. It's the corner seat in the sectional, prime movie-watching, napping, comfort seat. Everyone wants that seat. Words have been spoken over that seat. Battle lines have been drawn. Voices have been raised. There's been some moments about that seat. Everybody wants it. You get up from that seat at your own risk. But we also reward one another with that seat. We're like, oh, Christy, you've had a rough day, rough day. Yeah, we saved the seat for you. I'm going to go sit over here on the wicker chair. Kids, you get on the wood floor. Let mom have the seat. Everybody has the seat. Everybody wants the seat. This is very common in life. We all want the best seat in the house. But see, listen, that's like saying, I want the assurance of Pentecost. I want the assurance of God with me, but without the implications that God is in control of me. We prefer to simply thank God for his presence rather than submit to God's presence in our life. But that's not the way this works. Not that's, that's not what Jesus, that's not what, what he died for. That's not what God was doing in this moment. God was sending Pentecost to change everything. The spirit of God rests on us to lead us, to change us. The gentle spirit of God Thank goodness it's gentle, because if it wasn't gentle, I don't know how I would be able to handle the power of God. But we cannot forget this. We can't. We can't forget that the Spirit of God is the violent wind and fire of God in our life. It's intended to be the wind in ourselves to push us past the barriers that that our flesh contain us in, to pull us out of the sea of sameness that the world lives in, and to tell us that we are destined for more, for new things that are only accomplished by the power of the Spirit. Do you understand that you and I, we are not, we are not in control of our lives. There is someone who deserves the seat of power, the throne, the throne seat in our life, and that's and that's of course our heavenly father. And he relates to us through the gentle relationship that we have with the spirit that rests on us. And he's saying, will you make room for me in your life? Will you make room? Will you make way? Isaiah 43, 19 says, see, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. You see, the Spirit of God is always, always doing something new. That doesn't mean he's always going to disorient your life. It just means that he has a plan for you, and it isn't the plan that he had yesterday. It's the plan that he says, I, I'm actually taking you somewhere. I'm going to lead you a step at a time. I'm the, the lamp to your feet and the light for your path, and we're going somewhere. Are you ready for the next day? Are you ready for today? Are you preparing? Are you making room? When are you, when are you elevating the time, not only in my word, but with me and my spirit? Are you a word and spirit person where you're saying, Lord, I want to be I want to be in your word so I can have the revelation of God's word coming into my life. That I'm feeding on God's word. But I'm also, Father, I understand that you're a person. You're the, the Holy Spirit is a person that I have a relationship with. That I can receive revelation through the spirit of God coming into my life to illuminate the, the, the power of the gospel around me that I can step into and have courage to step into because God goes with me. So let me ask you, are you preparing? Are you prioritizing? Are you making room in your life for these things? My guess is if it's been a long time that you felt 
the Spirit prompt new things in you, it's probably because you aren't making a lot of room. Sometimes the new thing comes out of seasons of deserts, comes out of seasons of hardship. So if you're discouraged about all the things that God's not done yet, can I just remind you that God's not done yet? Keep waiting with him, my friends. My hope today is that you feel the wind and fire of God in your life. And if you haven't in a while, go wait with him. Go wait with him. Because he's coming. I want to pray over us. I want to pray that a fresh, that that the Holy Spirit would fall afresh on us. Would you just bow your heads? Father, we just, we just, we just invite your Holy Spirit to do what only you can do. And we do. Want to, we want to experience a freshness in, our, in, in, in you. So fall afresh on, on your people. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful. We're thankful for this church and how you've empowered and enabled us by your Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.